Hey there, welcome to Blockhead, the Peanuts tribute podcast from a cartoonist's point of view. My name is Jeff Grogan, and I'll be your host for the next hour or so in a series of conversations with comics creators about their lives, their work, and comics. So sit back and enjoy. Again, Blockhead listeners, welcome to today's show. Today we have a very special guest, friend of the show, Brian Walker of Beetle Bailey and High and Lois and comics history in general, is here to talk about his latest project, an exhibition at the Billy Ireland Museum of Comics and Cartoon Art in Columbus, Ohio, The Dog Show, two centuries of canine cartoons running from, well, June 19th to October 31st, 2021. It's up at Billy Ireland at the same time as a terrific exhibition called Into the Swamp, the social and political satire of Walt Kelly's Pogo, and that's sure to be a winner as well. Also on view are treasures from the collection, Billy Ireland is open from Thursdays from 1 to 5 p.m. Be sure if you're anywhere near Columbus, maybe you've gone out to Cleveland to check out the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, you might want to make your way to Billy Ireland in Columbus. It is uh, one of the great cartoon meccas of the world. Hey, and some of you might be heading out to Crossroads Columbus, one of the preeminent comics festivals in the fall, featuring so much great stuff, so many great uh, events and activities, and some great creators who show up in Columbus every year. So definitely mark it on your calendars. Be sure to make your way to Billy Ireland to check out The Dog Show, Two Centuries of Canine Cartoons, as well as Into the Swamp, the social and political satire of Walt Kelly's Pogo. Well, Brian's going to tell us all about the dog show and how it came to be and who's in it, which of your favorite cartoon canines shows up on the walls. Uh, but before we talk about that, I just want to remind you about my latest project, Green Screen, which is a 36-page full-color comic book sci-fi fantasy comedy adventure coming to Kickstarter in August. I'm pretty excited about it, and I'll tell you more about that in a little while. But right now... Let's get to Brian Walker and talk about cartoon canines, picturesque pups, and doggy doodles. <laughs> Here we go, Brian Walker and myself in conversation. All right, Brian, welcome to Blockhead. It's great to have you here to talk about your latest project, which is an exhibition at Billy Ireland, at the Billy Ireland Museum called The Dog Show, Two Centuries of Canine Cartoons. This sounds like a, an exhibition that has been waiting to happen for forever. What was it that inspired this now? Well, it was a call from Jenny Robb, uh, who's the curator at Billy Ireland. Um, and we had, we had a, you know, she's got a kind of an ongoing list of exhibit ideas. Uh, this is the fourth exhibit I've curated for them. And she said, would you be interested in curating an exhibition uh, about cartoon dogs? So apparently the, the background was, I think it was in 2019, they got a major gift of thousands of originals from um, Brad Anderson, the creator of, or from his family, the creator of Marmaduke. 
the exhibit committee was talking about maybe doing a Marmaduke exhibit and somebody said, well, why don't we don't, don't limit it to that? Maybe we should do all cartoon dogs. Nobody there is claiming credit for the original suggestion, but it was at probably one of their meetings. So I can't claim credit for it. Uh, but Jenny asked me if I'd be interested in curating it. Um, my first reaction was that sounds like a fun exhibit. Maybe not so serious, you know, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I had recently done this major George Harriman crazy cat exhibit at the Reina Sophia exhibit in, in Madrid. So maybe my head was getting a little too big or something. So <laughs> I, my first reaction, well, let me think it over. And then and I started thinking about it and I made, I sat down and made a list of, I, I think it was close to 150 cartoon dog characters in all mediums, you know, not just comic strips, but in comic books and animation and even in magazine cartoons and advertising and everything. And it was, it was just like unbelievable, you know, what I had come, come up with. Um, I did do an exhibit back in the early eighties at the old cartoon museum in, at the Ward Castle in Rybrook, uh, great comic cats it was kind of the height of the cat trays, you know, with oh, yeah. Heathcliff and the Clyban cats and even the Skip Morrow cat books and stuff. And uh, that was a very, and Malcolm White had just come out with a book called Great Comic Cats. So it was kind of based on that book. And uh, it was very successful. We had, we had, you know, cat day at the museum with (laughs) Garfield and Heathcliff fighting each other, which I was told later by the syndicate, like, they never would have sent the Garfield costume if they knew Heathcliff was going to be there. (laughs) (laughs) And actually, the Garfield costume came with an actor that, ward inside but the heathcliff costume we had to recruit somebody and i got my wife to do it (laughs) my wife was a a dance major in college and a real ham so she she kind of upstaged garfield you know oh that's great (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but um so anyway i made this list and i went back to jenny and i said yeah this sounds like a fun project more i think about it and i said but i'm going to warn you this is going to be one of those exhibits where everybody's going to come in and find their favorite dog character which we overlooked or didn't include or didn't have an example for or whatever and she said well that's all right i mean you know people understand we can't get everybody into it you know every single character so my challenge was to try to find as many examples as we could and actually supplement the original cartoon art with uh we have a a a video clip package of about 30 animated clips everything from pudgy and betty boop to lady and the tramp and uh underdog and mr peabody all the way up to santa's little helper from the simpsons and brian griffin and those are video clips which is and then then we did a comic book case i think there's about 27 covers in there we have things like crypto superman's dog and ace the bat hound and deputy dog and so all told, we have over a hundred characters represented. I think maybe 120 or something. The other thing is, so this all started in I think it was October 2019, and I went through the database and I I typed in dog as a <laughs> as, as a search you know term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I came up with over a thousand hits wow. in the, in the OSU database. Mm-hmm. So whoever was entering <laughs> cartoon art into it 
thought there was significant enough dogs that they made that you know oh. a tag a tag yeah. in, which, which saved me like i can't imagine how many hours it would have spent looking through things looking for dogs i would have yeah i was gonna say oh my gosh thank goodness for that cataloger or whoever yeah. whoever it was i think oh i know who it is too there was a woman named ann lennon uh-huh really not she didn't do it all by herself but she did, did a lot of it for years going mm -hmm. through the imca museum of cartoon art collection because she right. used to call me all the time with questions and then whenever i go out there she'd bring out a couple of carts and say you have any <laughs> idea what this stuff is you know <laughs> and i was able to identify some of it but uh so i think she may have been responsible for that uh, very dedicated employee that they had over out there for many years yeah, it takes that kind of librarian's mind too, or curator's mind, or not curator, but you know, uh, archivist's mind to yeah. make sure you tag everything, you know, correctly uh, when doing that. It, it's mind-numbing work. It can be, but yeah, it's fantastic. So then, what I did was I went through all those with the little thumbnails, and I selected, a, a, you know, about a hundred, hundred and twenty pieces, and then I went out there last March. March 2020 and spent about four or five days going through all the selections and and putting putting in them in categories and then ultimately laying them on a piece of paper on the ground around the gallery that's the way we do it to just to plant base and then taking pictures of it, everything and then I hopped a plane to LaGuardia on uh, March 13th and by then everything was shutting down. I mean, the uh, Ohio State was, they were sending the students home and closing the dorms. And uh, fortunately I managed to get through LaGuardia and get home to Connecticut without catching the virus. And uh, the whole thing was put on hold, but I was at least happy to hear that they were gonna, that they didn't cancel the exhibit. That would have been a shame. Sure, yeah, especially once you've got it laid out like that. Yeah. So like the last month or so, we've been just going through the final selections, looking at the photographs that we took the year before, mm -hmm. uh, refining things. And uh, so rather than fly me out for the installation, which is what I normally do, uh, I'm going out there towards the end of the exhibit on October 1st. I'm going to do some kind of a lecture in the in the auditorium there. Maybe a, a curator walkthrough tour going to be part of CXC, which is Crossroads Columbus, which is a oh, whole yeah. weekend of events. And I know Patrick McDonald is going to be out there. He'll probably be part of my presentation as well. And he has a an exhibit of his paintings he's been working on that nobody's seen. I've, I've seen them privately, but not they haven't been exhibited. Are they related to Mutz or are they something entirely different? Um, they're mostly car cartoon tributes. There's a crazy cat painting that I've seen, a Dick Tracy, um, a few Nancy. So like his favorite cartoon character is done in a kind of, um, I would say kind of a abstract pop art slash oh. <laughs> fine art mode, you know, big canvases, oil. Uh-huh. With uh, oil? That's interesting. I, I was just wondering, you know, um, he's so well known for those wonderful 
you know, uh, intro images to his Sunday pages, which are yeah. always a tribute to both cartoons of the past and great, you know, past masters in all of the history of art. Uh, so I'm, I can imagine those can be could be pretty exciting to see. Yeah, I think it's going to be really cool. And of course, there's a uh, actually a, a I think it's about eight strips from a story he did quite sort of earlier in his career, where the two two characters switch identities. You know, the cat becomes a dog, and the dog becomes <laughs> a cat, and they go back and forth with that. Uh, so he's well represented in the exhibit as well. Um, so what we did uh, about a little over a week ago is did a virtual installation. Mm -hmm. So they put me on a cart and in a laptop on a cart and wheeled me around the room and said, "Okay, how does this look? What do you think about that? Should this be higher or lower? We have to we have to take this piece out. There's not enough room for it, you know." <laughs> oh my gosh! Positioning That's... all the overhead signs and the decals and all the rest of it, and uh, it worked out fine, really. You know, uh, I know the space and I know the people I'm working with, so there weren't any any real problems with that. I'm very pleased with the way it looks, mm -hmm. and I can't wait to see it in person. Yeah, it's it sounds really exciting, and I'm sure it, it's well. Let's see, it, it opened on the 19th, according to the uh the website that i'm looking at now yeah, and so i'm i'm pretty i mean in some sense it's a really great show for the summer where we're all sort of coming out from covid and it's kind of because it's a family kind of exhibition right it's going to attract i think a, a broad base of people but particularly you know families i would think and uh and so it's kind of celebratory to bring people to the museum to look at the collection in general to see the other exhibitions on view and and uh, i'm sure it's really popular and um did they have a, a, an opening you know a gallery opening in the in the traditional sense or was that something that was sort of yeah. you know pushed back a little opening i got a very nice email from lucy caswell who's uh, I guess she's retired, but she seems to be pretty active over there still. In fact, it, I've, the last couple of exhibits I've sort of co-curated with her. Uh -huh. um, but she said she went over there and just thought it was looked terrific. And there was uh, quite a few people there, families. Everybody was responding very positively to it. So it was good to hear that. And, uh, you know, I think they still have got some fairly limited hours. Yeah. Uh, sort of afternoon midweek weekend hours yeah it says one to five uh two thursday through sunday so yeah. so if people want to go see it right now well you have a good long time it's up yeah. until october 31st till halloween and it's open thursday through sunday one through five at yeah. the billy ireland museum in uh, columbus ohio which has kind of become a mecca for cartoonists in a way there's a whole uh, i guess um jeff smith of bone is out there and um Cartoon, cartoons crossroads but uh billy ireland sort of initiated i think a kind of uh um, you know mass movement of cartoonists to columbus for a little while anyway um but so with this exhibition a lot of the characters you must come across you know are very must be very familiar to you were there any that were discoveries you know characters that you were not familiar with before who surprised you yeah, I think there was, um, I mean, certainly we have Snoopy and Odie right. and, and Daisy and Tige and Dog and Otto. Otto. And I found a, a story 
a Dick Tracy story where Dick Tracy goes to this apartment and this guy's been killed and his dog is standing guard there. He's a big boxer named Mutt. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you think like any character you can think of, like did Dick Tracy ever have a dog? I don't really remember it, you know? Yeah. So this was just this one story. And of course, you know, Chester Gould donated like 7,000 strips to the uh, Museum of Cartoon Art. And sure enough, we had the key story, you know, uh, the strips from the story, the first the first one, the last one, the couple of middle ones. So we've got that on display. Very and, cool. Uh, you know, it's like 1949. So it's kind of oh, peak Gould, you know, real, yeah. real bold black, you know, drawings. Oh, yeah. We have, of course, the almost the complete story of the death of Farley from For Better oh, yeah. First. Yeah, classic stuff. You yeah. don't that whole story to the Billy Ireland. So, wow. You know, with I think there's a couple of, you know, strips, you know, like sort of a lead in and lead out, but pretty much the whole story is, is there in original form. Wondering if, if you need to have a warning sign up there for, for young ones when they're reading that. My, that's such a heartbreaker, that story. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully somebody will cry when they're reading it. <laughs> I'm sure people in the museum like it's okay to laugh in the galleries, you know, but crying, I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we we found some, you know, that of course that we have a couple of classic George Booth uh, New Yorker cartoons with those scrawny, scraggly dogs that are always sitting in the corner, you know, mm-hmm. of his of his cartoons. We've got a really cool will eisner piece and eldon didini uh, linda barry uh, oh yeah sherry flanagan trots and bonnie yeah oh my gosh so you've got a wide array of interesting cartoonists and and a diverse group of of pets you have you know of course there's sandy from little orphan annie and uh you know rusty riley's dog i can't remember his name <laughs> a lot of times there, we think of snoopy as being you know the first dog that sort of walked on two legs and and had this great fantasy life. Did you find any dogs prior to Snoopy, for example, that were similar in a sense or archetypes that might have led towards Snoopy and dogs like Snoopy, you know, who, who take on human attributes? I mean, Otto is one of those and, uh, you know, in his little Sarge suit. Yeah, well, of course, Tig and Buster Brown. Oh, yeah. I, I have to go back and check this now that you're bringing it up is, you know, it's always the challenge with a dog character. Are they silent? Right. Or can you read their thoughts? Or do they actually talk? And, you know, there's examples of all of those things, really. You know, dogs that actually talk and or communicate. Or maybe they just talk between the dogs. Or do they talk with humans? Or, you know, we have a really early, wonderful Buster Brown page in 1903. It's the almost the first year of the strip. Buster Brown started in 1902. And it's a hand-colored one that's been in the museum collection like forever. It actually was given to us by Harry uh, Hirschfeld, not Al Hirschfeld, Harry Hirschfeld, uh, along with the yellow kid that the museum owned. Those were both gifts from him. Oh, wow. In the first few months of the museum when we first opened in 1974. So this is a a beautiful hand-colored Buster Brown page, very early on. Wow, I can imagine. How how? What's the scale of that page? I would say maybe twenty inches by twenty-six or something. It's pretty big. Uh huh. Okay. And of course, there's a, a crazy cat with Officer Pup in it. Oh, so you have a crazy cat? Oh, great. Yeah, very yeah. cool. 
It's a yellow kid. It's a newsprint page, but it's what they did to the dog catcher. catcher. <laughs> I think I've read that one before. He's being beaten, you know. Yeah. And then we have a happy hooligan and his nephews go to a dog show and cause chaos. These are these are actually printed newsprint pages. There's a bringing up father, Maggie and Jigs. Their little dog was called Fifi. This dog looks like it's made out of wire or something, you know. Maggie forces Jigs to go take this foo-foo dog for a walk, you know. And he, he goes into the uh, saloon and every, all these guys see it and they're all jumping up, climbing up on the chandeliers and afraid of it. You know, it's just hilarious. Is that a poodle? Uh, I guess you'd say it was a poodle. It was interesting researching. You know, I wrote all these little descript, descriptive captions for each of these pieces mm-hmm. and going back and finding out if possible, what the breeds are for these various dogs. Ty was, is an American pit bull terrier. Pit bull terrier? Yeah. And Ty, now, well, that's interesting. I didn't know the pit bull. I thought the pit bull breed was relatively recent. Um, Well, I think the name pit bull, uh, I think like an American bull terrier probably. Okay, yeah. The pit bull name is probably more like a recent one. We have a Bill Holman Zipper was a character he used occasionally. Toots and Casper had a dog. Spare Ribs was uh, Toots and Casper's dog. Uh, Harold Nerd did a topper to the Cats and Jeremy. Kids oh, yeah. Dingle Hoofer and his dog. Originally, it was a Dachshund whose named, name was Adolf. Yeah, in 1936, they changed his name yeah. to Schnapsy. Yeah, I was going to say, they probably <laughs> had to change that. Oh, my gosh. Let's see. Cliff Starrett did Dot and Dash. Those were cats, though, weren't they? Or were they? No, I think they're cats. Yeah. I think they're cats. It's surprising how many of these dogs sort of came and went that haven't resonated in the public imagination. I mean, dogs have a really important place. I mean, pets in general have a really important place in comics, certainly since World War II. Do you find that there are more after World War II than there were before? Or do we think of pets or dogs differently now? Like Daisy in Blondie, I actually worked on the reprint volumes of Blondie with Dean Mullaney at IDW. And so, you know, we went back to the, you know, the original marriage sequence and everything, and then the birth of baby dumpling. <laughs> and uh, so their dog was an adopted dog. They brought home uh, the, this puppy, May 17th, 1935. So I actually have the date for that. She was eventually named Daisy. And six years later, she gave birth to five puppies. Daisy is still in that strip, you know. I think she's got to be the oldest dog going. Well, when you think about it, Snoopy's 70, so... Right. Uh, that's we're talking. They're all getting up there. But yeah. well, oh, my gosh, there's you know, yeah, between those three triumvirate, you know, between Beetle Bailey, which is Otto. Otto didn't appear until he appeared with Sarge in the mid 50s. But he basically walked on all fours as a kind of a bulldog. And he had one of these kind of little wraparound coats with a sergeant symbol on it. It wasn't until 1970 that that, I think my father might have been a little bit inspired by Snoopy at that point. Sure. Decided to humanize Otto a little more. He started walking around on two paws and gave him a uniform and everything. And sometimes he even sits at his own little desk and we even did a gag one time where he had his own secretary. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's kind of interesting. He's become kind of a mini surrogate Sarge, right? Yeah. yeah. And 
one of the things that's different about Snoopy and Charlie Brown is the relationship between Snoopy and the kids in Peanuts is kind of a well, Snoopy is the star of his own show, right, in his own head. And he lives in his own little world. And all of these characters around him are sort of auxiliaries to his life. But Otto is very different in the sense that Otto and Sarge have this relationship that's very much like a lot of people have that's a similar kind of a relationship with their with their pets, with their dogs in particular, you know, where they they relate in a, in a I would say it's very personal kind of way, um, reflecting one another in some sense. You know, it's a different way of uh, Otto's a different kind of character, even though he's he's wearing a little Sarge suit and he's on two paws. Yeah, I think with Be- with Beetle Bailey, I often talk about this. You have characters when they first when they first are introduced, they're very stere- stereotypical. Sarge was this tough guy. You know, he was based upon us uh, kind of a drill sergeant got character, Sergeant Savu that my father had when he was in uh boot camp back during World War II, you know, when he, he was in uh, Camp Crowder in Missouri. Guy used to yell at, at all the recruits and then they go to town and they come back and they found little poems pinned to their pillows, you know, to his <laughs> voice. And that's the secret of Sarge. And, and that's it's strengthened by interaction with other characters. And particularly in the case of Otto, he's so kind of kind and tender and devoted to Otto as his dog. Yeah. Yeah, that it brings out this softer side of him that he's not quite as much of a hard ass with Otto as as he is with the other soldiers. And, and this is true of people in general. I mean, we, we we run into people in our daily lives at work and where uh, other places who come across that way sometimes is very stiff and reserved or you know as you you know hard ass as you're saying. And then you know they go home and they've got their dog and they relate to their dog in a way that is, sometimes they're like surrogate children. You know. Yeah. In, in a Some certain. of the uh, you know I've done a number of interviews four different ones in the Columbus Dispatch and a few of the AP and stuff. And they seem to ask me the, sort of the same questions, like, you know, you know, sort of why dogs and, and are dogs more appealing in in, a, in cartoons than a cat might be? <laughs> I said, well, I don't really want to get the cat lovers mad at me. <laughs> dogs do have more uh, sort of accessible personalities. You know, they they aim to please, you know. And I think that translates perfectly into a cartoon character. Oh, I think yeah. cats are a little more aloof and mysterious and reserved and, and uh, you know, like a dog like Odie or just lick you in your face and slobber all over you, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, yeah, Jim Davis has got that distinction, right? I mean, you know, Garfield is very aloof in his own way. Uh, in his own world, and um, Odie is just all over you. Yeah, so you've got that contrast there. Yeah, and then uh, the other question they ask is me personally, you know, do I have a dog, and what's my history on a personal level? I grew up in a large family. There were seven kids in my family, and so pets were never really, never really fared very well in that environment. (laughs) We had a cat once, and my younger brothers would sister would pull its tail and eventually ran away <laughs> you, know? Okay. Uh, you know my my younger brother had a snake and I, you know i had some mice once but i never had a dog and uh when my kids were in about high school age my wife my wife comes from a real 
dog crazy family. I mean, her father would would take neighbors' dogs on vacation with them, you know, and, and eventually <laughs> adopt them or steal them or whatever you want to look at. It. They became his dogs because he would take them shopping and give them ice cream. <laughs> And so my wife felt like, you know, our kids really need to have a dog, you know. And I said, yeah, but, you know, they're in high school and they're getting their driver's license and thinking about college and playing sports and getting ready for the prom and all the rest of it. And the last thing we need is a dog, you know, to make our lives aren't crazy enough. But as soon as this, she, well, we'll just have them as a, have her for, have her for a trial weekend. And uh, this dog jumped out of the car and it was all over immediately you know uh it was a wheaton terrier who eventually named jezebel because my wife's a big betty davis fan uh-huh and of course this dog eventually bonded with me and we became so close you know i was the one that took her on most of her walks and and then later you know when she got sick and died i was the one that had to put her down which was devastating yeah. I mean, I've told people like, it was harder losing my dog than my parents who just passed away recently, you know, and that's not a knock on my parents. But I mean, your dog is is with you every day. You know, it's a really important part of your life. And my parents were, were you know, they, they had a little a good long life. So it wasn't a tragedy or anything. Interesting. You're saying that um, my wife and I, we don't have kids. So we've always had dogs and I've always had dogs growing up. So I've always been a. We have cats, too, so we're a big pet family, but I've always been very close to my dogs, and um, our dog, our old, our, we have an Australian shepherd and we ha- and who, you know, we've found and brought home, and then we have another dog by the name of Duncan, who is a chow mix, who um, just showed up in our backyard and we adopted, both of whom we adore, but um Zuccaro, the Australian Shepherd, just went through a whole thing where she lost mobility in her hindquarters. She's getting older, and uh, it was the scariest thing. And both my wife and I, you know, we just, oh my God, the heart rending, you know, to see her lose her her mobility like that. And fortunately, she's recovering now. But you were talking about giving them ice cream. And as a matter of fact, last night we came back from the vet from a, a checkup. Uh, to see how she was doing, and we stopped. <laughs> we stopped for ice cream, and of course, you know, Zook had her share uh, of of ice cream, which sounds ridiculous, but but uh, yeah. you know, that's what we do. My wife took Jezebel to a dog trainer once, and she immediately realized it's not really about the dog; it's about the owner. <laughs> we're just not real strict, discipline type people. You know, we we never were very strict with our kids. I don't think I ever grounded my kids or anything. So we kind of gave up on that but we had a couple of rules she wasn't allowed on the bed okay and she wasn't allowed to eat people food for the most part that's probably a good rule my favorite picture of jezebel we were up in maine and my wife and my son were still sleeping in this big upstairs bed in the cottage where we go and there's jezebel like looking so guilty but just in heaven right next to my son on the bed, you know, <laughs> and I, I, I actually sent it to a couple of the reporters. I don't think they published it, but I just said, just the, the look of, she knows she's not, you know, she's breaking a rule, but nice you know, what am I going to do? I'm going to have to drag her out of the bed. I didn't, I didn't, you know, of course not. But it's one of the few times I let her get away with that. 
Oh man, we 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 let them, you know, we do let them get away with things, and uh, and in some sense we revel in that, you know, their ability to break our hearts or to bend the heartstrings and push at our our boundaries, if as it were. We do the kind of same thing with Zook. She's not supposed to be you know up on this or that piece of furniture but in the end she wins one way or the other you know and i guess that's part of how we invest you know i mean we sense a mind at work in our dogs and a personality at work and they're all of course distinct personalities and that investment you know cartoons are a perfect vehicle for exploring that kind of investment we put into our our dogs, you know, um, in some ways, the inability we have to communicate verbally with our dogs, um, and rather we communicate visually, it's a perfect kind of, um, uh, what is it, um, interaction for comics in that way, you know? Yeah, I think one of the things, uh, I, I do have kind of a unique background in that, <clears throat> Not only do I curate exhibits and write books about cartoon history, but I'm also a working professional cartoonist. Right. So I get the, you know, the experience of writing gags for Otto and writing gags for Dog and High and Lois, mm -hmm. and uh, appreciate that process and the, you know, the sort of joy of of creating scenarios for these characters and then when i curate this exhibit i am looking at the work of say mike peters with grimmy or, yeah. or 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 you know uh, rough and dennis the menace and and i can really identify with the importance of that character in that particular strip you know and and the, the role of the creator in 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 making that happen you know so it's um, i think i have a little different perspective than say a, a typical curator or mm -hmm. historian do you find it hard going between the two distinct types of dogs um you know the one that is is more um you know human-like than the other yeah i think uh no i don't find that difficult i mean i, mean, I think that there's some characters that I have a hard time. I have, for some reason, I have a hard time writing for Zero and Beetle Bailey. You know? mm -hmm. Just trying to put myself in the in the mind of this guy who's so naive that he just yeah. doesn't understand things, misinterprets things that people tell him. I I just struggle with that for some reason. You know. Um, you know, on the other hand, a character like the general, you know, he's so flawed and, and, and certainly Sarge. I mean, Sarge, you know, I mean, yeah, acts just write themselves with him, you know. Sure. I mean, it, it, you know, we, we could just do Sarge all day, all the time. I mean, he could be stri stripped by himself. He's the best character. Ironically, in High and Lois, it's Thirsty, who's, you know, oftentimes because he's everything that High isn't. You know, I mean, High has to be the sort of responsible upstanding dad you know he's nice to his kids and he he's takes you know works at his job and thirsty has always been the opposite of that his next door neighbor who's sexist and bosses his wife around and he's lazy and he's fat and drinks and he used to smoke cigarettes so we, we stopped doing that got criticized a little bit but and and dog is is a very i mean dog is limited because he can't talk 
and, and same with Trixie. Trixie can't actually speak, but you can read her thoughts. And sometimes we drift into that, you know, well, is dog reading Trixie's thoughts here? I mean, how is how does he know what she's thinking, you know? And sometimes we we do that, you know. Trixie and 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 dog are together and they're sharing their thoughts with each other. Well, there's that wonderful, you know, communication between uh kids and dogs and um you know i I always find it you know really special those moments where you know if the family dog is tending to you know the youngest child or something like that in a very protective almost almost parental way um there's something very special about seeing that connection and i guess it's nice to play with it in its own way you know in uh in high and lowest too i Um, just gagged recently where a dog was chasing a cat out of the yard and they say doesn't you know the kids say dog doesn't like cats does he says no he just doesn't like them using uh trixie's sandbox (laughs) (laughs) dog you know is chasing sort of implied that they're using that as a litter box you know uh and dog is chasing the cat away because he's because trixie's playing in there you know so he yeah he's being very protective through the show, were there any dogs that you came across that you didn't include in the show? Um, or was it, you know, everything just seemed so great and, and uh, all these characters were, you know, just jumped out at you? Or were, were there, you know, were there dogs you had to leave out? Yeah, I mean, there, there, were, there were a few originals that uh, didn't make the cut. But I, I think most of the major ones are in there for sure. You know, it's searching around in, on the Internet when I was doing the research. I mean, I, I even like just Google like cartoon dogs, names of cartoon dogs, canine terms, you know, you know coming up with the, the name of the exhibit. I had to, to justify the subtitle Two Centuries of Canine Cartoons. I had to find something at least as old as 1820. <laughs> and I found this wonderful uh, Crookshank, George Crookshank cartoon, uh, Raining Cats and Dogs. Oh, wow. Uh, it's this beautiful color print. And oh, uh, we got high-res copy of that from the Yale University of uh, Museum of British Art. And uh, so the, there's a print of that right on the, the in- introductory te- text label, you know. To establish that that two centuries there, you know, that's an interesting question. Did you read research at all? You know, er, are there earlier cartoons or or images of of folks interacting with their dogs that you know surprised you? I mean, other comic that you may not have gotten that, but you might have run across. Um, well, we certainly. I mean, we have an early uh, Doyle cartoon from uh, uh, British sort of political cartoon from 1830. We've got a, it's an Ives, as in Courier and Ives. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a, a Civil War era one with, with Lincoln and all the Confederate and Union generals are dogs. So we've got a couple of things like that. I found this reference to these cave, you know, etching, you know, um, in some place in the in Middle Asia, dating back to 7,000 BC. It's a hunter mm-hmm. with a bow and arrow. A bunch of dogs are leading him to the prey. You know. Oh wow! So that's that's the earliest I could find of dogs in art. 
you know, one of the things we connect to, like if we sit, when I sit down to watch an old movie, you know, from the twenties or the thirties or something like that, I'm just thinking in popping into my mind is this old thin man movie with William Powell and Myrna Loy. And, and there's a dog in that film that in all of those films and, um, the relationship of the characters to the dog is so similar to the relationships we have with our dogs. Now there's a continuity there. And I think one of the, I guess, comforting aspects about dogs in popular media whether it's film or or comics is the continuity of human experience and you know that we can look back to the past and see these you know cartoons from the early 20th century and relate to the way the characters relate to their to their dogs in a way you know that's that's very immediate and very familiar and sometimes even more immediate than how the you know human characters react to one another yeah, I'm trying to look. I, I found a Buster Brown uh, movie from 1922, and Tig was played by. You remember the name of the dog in The Little Rascals? Oh gosh, uh, I know the dog you're talking about. He had a, a ring around his eye. Um, yes. And, oh gosh, what was his name? And, Somebody's gonna know. And 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 the dog's the name of the dog. In the Buster Brown thing, which is earlier than the, the Little Rascals, or not that much earlier, looks like the same dog. Now, I, I know, like in Hollywood, there's actually, you know, there's many lassies, there's, there's more than one Rin Tin Tin, you know. But this dog is just a dead ringer for the, the, that dog that's in the Little Rascals. And it's a really great film. I mean, it's just crazy. Like, you know, it's silent, of course. And I mm-hmm. think eight or ten minutes long but uh <laughs> whoops sorry about that pulling up the little rascals yeah it's pete the pop i guess is the name although yeah. he was called petey i remember that you know i think they they drew that ring around his eye i don't think that was a natural phenomenon yeah. but most don't really have a ring like that but yeah right i don't think so but, but he was awfully cute and now for a message from our sponsor hey gang time for the seventh inning stretch Get yourself a drink, a nosh, if you will. And while you're doing that, I'd like to tell you a little bit about my latest project, Green Screen, which is a Kickstarter beginning in August. Green Screen is a 36-page full-color comic book. It's a fun comedy fantasy adventure for readers who love movies, Doctor Who, Rick and Morty, and Mad Magazine's early comic book parodies. Hollywood film star Bella Dilemma and her backstage companions have been cast adrift aboard their movie set spaceship and pulled into the Cineverse, an alternate dimension where every movie ever made is a real world. Now they're about to crash land on an alien planet that looks eerily like a much-loved animated film from the past. Ever wonder what happens to movie characters after the credits have rolled? Did Scarlett O'Hara win back Rhett Butler? What did Charlton Heston find beyond the Statue of Liberty? Did Snow White and her prince really live happily ever after? Green Screen has the answers. This Kickstarter has lots of great reward tiers, one of which is a second comic book, Green Screen number 00, the origin story that tells how it all began. There's stickers and magnets and prints and t-shirts at a variety of different contributor levels. You can get a sneak peek over at greenscreencomic.com. And be sure to follow me on Instagram at greenscreencomic to keep up with the latest news and for the kickoff announcement for the Green Screen Kickstarter, August 2021. Thanks for listening, and I hope to see you this August 
on Kickstarter. We now resume our regular programming, already in progress. A lot of these things, are there gags that um, occur in some of the strips that reoccur in other comics? Like, are there, you know, themes with with dogs that reappear over and over again? Did you find that? Yeah, well, I imagine a strip like Marmaduke, which lasted for a really long time. In fact, it's still running. And it's just it's just the dog every day. He's right. a. He's actually a great Dane. Huh? Yeah. Uh, and, One of the few, I think, in, in comedy. Yeah. So it's just endless jokes about knocking things over or spilling things, making a mess, getting loose, <laughs> you know, jumping on people. I don't, you know, a big dog yeah. like that, too, you know, kind of awkward. I guess there's endless variations. Some people would just say it's the same thing over and over again, but... Um, you well, know. you kind of know what you're going to get um, when you go to Marmaduke, I guess. Yeah. Yes. But like, it's very popular with people that, that just have dogs. They love dogs and they, they just are en- entertained by that just over and over again every day. My, my wife loves that comic strip. She's not my, my wife is absolutely not a comic strip or cartoon fan uh, at all. She, she's not interested in comics in any way whatsoever. However, um marmaduke is like one of the few comics that she really enjoys because she's a dog lover and she doesn't read it on a regular basis or anything like that she just every now and again stumbles across it and when she does it's got something that she responds to because she you know loves dogs and so i think that most people who you know enjoy that strip are, are kind of similar in a sense they're not they're just people who stumble across it. They're not, and they, they know what they're going to get from Marmaduke and they count on that, you know, but, um, um, but I was thinking more of like, you know, themes that, that show up from one strip to a very different strip, you know, across different cartoonists to, you know, similar stories appear. I'm sure that there's a zillion versions of dogs chasing cats across, you know, comic strips. Um, you know, did you encounter those kinds of things in curating the show? And if so, did you have to filter some of them out or did you have to or did you, you know, put things together thematically? Well, I, I mean, I, I think that essentially dogs serve different functions in different kinds of strips. You know, you have it in a kind of a continuity story strip like Little Orphan Annie. Sandy is, you know, is a is a companion and a protector to Annie and all of her wanderings and adventures and scrapes that she gets into. And he's probably rescued her more than once, you know, you know, you have that kind of situation. You have, you know, a situation like the relationship you were talking about between Garfield and Odie, which is, you know, they're both pets in the same house. So it's a little competitive or something. Uh, You know, what we were talking about with Otto and Sarge. And I think, Overall, dogs are companions to their owners or, or their family or, or whoever they're with. But each, each one kind of has a little bit of a different function, a little different personality. I mean, I guess if it's a domestic pet, you know, there's certain things going for a walk and getting fed and maybe, like you say, chasing the cat or making a mess or something. You know, only you know, there's only so many variations of things you can come up with but like you know like like dog in in high lois i mean his relationship with trixie i think is is fairly unique uh we have another baby strip in with marvin by tom armstrong and that mm-hmm. character and that is called bitsy 
And then we have the, you know, the stone soup dog. Biscuit is the one from stone soup. We have what, you know, Earl and Mutz and Snurt in uh, Hagar. And they, they might be the companion of the adult, you know, in stone soup. She's a single mom. So it's kind of her dog, uh, you know, with Trixie or Marvin. It's the baby's dog. Yeah. Um, so there are like variations on that nature of that companionship, I think. Particularly in a domestic situation. I, get, I hesitate to use the word intimate, but it is a kind of intimate connection. You know, when you take your dog for a walk every day, it's a moment for reflection, you know, on your part and, and commiseration with your dog. You know, you, you, we say things to our dogs sometimes thinking thinking out loud, you know thinking they'll understand or respond somehow. Uh, I ask my dog questions all the time and <laughs> wait for an answer. And, and you have never... characters like Bo- Beauregard, Bugle Boy, who's a, a dog character in uh, in Pogo. Oh, yeah. And, you know, he's he's in an animal strip. So he's, he's just another one of the animals who has a distinctive personality. Um, I found, like, the phantom. Yeah, devil, right? He's... Yeah, is is a wolf actually? It's not a dog. It looks like a dog and functions like a dog, but it's actually a wolf. Uh, we have a couple of sports cartoons. There's a Willard Mullen cartoon. It's it's about dog racing. It's a really great example from 1937, so it's very early in his career. Uh, and then then a later one by Bill Gallo from the New York Daily News, who is one of my favorite local cartoonist. It's a tribute to the Westminster Kennel uh, Club Dog Show, but it features all the local sports celebrities like Billy Martin and, you know, boxers and baseball players and stuff caricatured as dogs. I, I came across in my research, too, was lists of like the top 10 dogs of all time, you know. Okay. The one that ranked number one pretty consistently was Lady and the Tramp. And I agree with that. I love that movie. Wanted to represent it in the exhibit. And of course, the scene that I always remember is when they're at Tony's restaurant with the spaghetti. Oh, sure. They both sort of slurping the same piece and their lips come together and they fall in love. And it's just so heartwarming. Oh, the beautiful song, too. So the, the Billy Ireland doesn't have a real strong animation collection. And I reconnected with this probably the, one of the major animation collectors in, in the world, really, a guy named Mike Glad who lives in the uh, Oakland area. And, uh, of course, he's got the cell setup of that scene. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and so I, I just jumped through hoops to arrange to borrow that. And eventually we were not able, for various reasons, budget <laughs> restrictions, things like that. We weren't able to borrow it, but what we did was we got a high-res file and we made a beautiful print of it and framed it. So it's oh. in the show. And that scene is also on the video clip reel, too. Did you do a, a kind of mashup of the cells on a background or or did you get shots of the cells themselves? Or how did how did that work? Well, what the piece that Mike Glad has is an actual cell setup. Okay, so he's got the background and the multiple cells on top of the background. Yeah, it's it's you know, I don't even want to think how much that's worth. Probably well, hundred thousand dollars or something. It's fantastic, <laughs> it's yeah. spectacular. Uh, it's going to actually be in another show that's uh, a friend of mine is curating in the Baltimore area. The original, <clears throat> in fact, that's where it is now. 
But that was just, I was so hung up on that single scene from that movie as sort of the ultimate cartoon dog moment, I would say. It's it's one of the great ones. It certainly is. Um, I mean, what makes it an ultimate cartoon dog moment for you? Is it is it the romantic connection between the two dogs? Uh, it's such a beautiful film. You know, I think Disney kind of got away from animal characters for a long time. I know when my daughter was growing up, she was obsessed with that film. <laughs> you know, when the kids get to be a certain age and they just want to see the same movie over and over again. Yeah. My daughter went through her late in the tram phase. So I probably saw it a hundred times or something. I just think it's a really tight sort of scripted. It's a really great story. It's very romantic. There's a lot of humor in it. The character design is just magnificent, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, you know, uh, Disney did so many different dogs. Have you represented a number of different Disney dogs? Then we have obviously Pluto and Goofy. Yeah, we have Pluto, we have Goofy, uh, we have 101 Dalmatians. Those are, you know, we, I didn't, you know, I kind of stopped at the Fox and the Hound and a few mm-hmm. things like that. That Late, you know, or later 20th century Disney, yeah. yeah. Um, but the, All Dogs Go to Heaven, we have a couple of cells from that. Uh, we have a really neat piece that they found in the collection. It really wasn't even identified, but it was uh, like... Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Ingrid Bergman characters from Casablanca as dogs. <laughs> sounds like a Warner Brothers cartoon. They said, okay, what is this from? And I said, I think I know. So uh, we had an animator that used to live near the museum in Port Chester named Dean Yeagle. And I had just seen him out in California. I hadn't seen him in years. Really talented animator. He used to work for a place in New York called Xander's Animation Parlor. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh, oh, wait, wait. Okay. Mark Xander and Jack Xander? Yeah. Uh, so, okay. So, Jack Xander was involved in a lot of different animation over the years and for Warner Brothers and others. Uh, yeah. He did, did a lot of, you know, back in the 80s when we were in, in Rybro, um, they were doing a lot of TV commercials. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. You know, Dean and Dean did a couple one that remember one with these sort of soap bubbles, as little like uh, little kind of monster characters and stuff. So I sent them that image. I said, "Any chance you know anything about this, Dean?" And he said, "Yep." He says that was a dog food commercial I did, <laughs> <laughs> and then he said I gave that piece to the museum. And, oh wow! Uh, and that's I was doing the Casablanca thing. Oh, what a trip. And uh, so we identified, so that piece is in the show. Well, in terms of uh, other animated dogs, then, aside from Disney, you know, actually, I pulled up a high and lowest here that's got uh, a variety of number of animated dogs. We have a couple dogs from Tex Avery, Droopy, right? And there's um, Chuck Jones' dog. I can't remember the name of that one from Warner Brothers. You've got a fondness, it seems, for animated dogs. Are there others in the show as well? Okay. Yeah, we've got Scooby-Doo. We've got Garfield and Odie, Deputy Dog, 101 Dalmatians, Lady in the Tramp, Underdog, Oggy Doggy, Huckleberry Hound, Droopy, Bimbo. Bimbo. Which one was uh, Bimbo? Bimbo was uh, Betty Boop's boyfriend. Oh, okay. Oh, right. Okay. Yes. Okay. Sort of like I got to think of him as a dog, though. It's, he's yeah. Kind of... Well, he was a dog. <laughs> Betty Boop <laughs> dog we have a model sheet of i think it's betty boop's first model sheet 
when she was she was a dog because she was that's bimbo right. Fred. She was introduced as a dog in a bimbo cartoon. You know, that's interesting. Now we're talking about that because dogs walked on two feet prior to Snoopy. Animated dogs had those human attributes much earlier than comp than at least Snoopy did. I mean, so yeah. dogs were walking around on two feet long before 19, you know, 57 or whenever it was that Snoopy stepped off the doghouse. In the video clip thing, the earliest piece that we have is a Bobby Bumps cartoon, which is yeah, a- Bobby Bumps on the Beanery, yeah. And his dog's name is Fido. That was a, a Bray Studio cartoon from 1918. Uh, we have Fitz, who's Coco the Clown sidekick. Of course, Pudgy and Betty Boop, Pluto and Mickey Mouse, uh, Willoughby and Bugs Bunny, Goofy, mm-hmm. Droopy, Spike and Tyke, Mark Antony. Remember with the Feed the Kitty? He's a big, I don't know what kind of a dog he is. Canine with Bugs Bunny, who is Marvin the Martian's dog. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's a terrific yeah. dog. <laughs> and Nana and Peter Pan, Lady in the Tramp, Uncle Barry. What is Hatt. that? A Martian has a dog, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's definitely a dog. Yeah, uh, no, but it's like kind of when you think about it, he's a Martian, you know? I mean, that there's dogs on Mars. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Peabody and Sherman, Pongo and Perdita, 101 Dalmatians, Astro and the Jetsons, mm-hmm. Underdog, Max and, Max and the Grinch. Oh, that's a great one. Sure. Yeah. Snoopy and the Red Baron. So are all these represented by cells or by, by uh, clips? Oh, by clips in the video. Yeah. Okay. That was like, you know, I, I really wanted to do this, but I, I told the people at Billy Ireland, I said, you know, you got to make sure that we can actually do this legally because I don't want to spend all this time looking for this thing, editing it together and doing all the research. And then a lawyer comes in at the last minute like, oh, you can't do this. You need to get permission for all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And to my surprise, the lawyer came back and said, no, this is this is, um, you know, fair usage in this context. You're not charging admission that you're not making any money off of it. It's. It's a it's a scholarly uh, reference and stuff. So go ahead, do it. I started searching online for, mm-hmm. and you know, at one point there was some like they have a video editor person. He said, well, she can go pick the clips, or if you just tell her the names. And I said, I don't know. I've got a pretty deep knowledge of animation as as both a fan and a historian and a curator, and I know which scenes I'm looking for here, you know. And uh, I was able to find a lot of them. Really, I couldn't couldn't believe it. And you know, so they're they're good examples for that character is really featured in the scene, front and center. Did you find them mostly online, or did you have to search out DVDs and things I would like? Mostly on YouTube. Mostly on YouTube. Yep. And uh, and the quality was was decent. So yeah, you know, yeah. I, mean, I haven't I haven't actually seen it. On my computer, which is a you know a MacBook Pro, you know 15 inch looks they look great. Uh, so, but they have it on a monitor in the exhibit that's it's not huge. I mean, I would say it's about a 40, 30, 36, 40 inch screen. Did you do a voiceover for it at all? Or? Uh, no, uh, all these clips are like about 20 seconds long. Okay. Some are, some are a little longer. Some some are 16, some are 28. With there's sound on it. Mm-hmm. And the sound actually works pretty good, but they can't have the sound running in the gallery. Oh, I see. Just drive people crazy because it just will run over and over and over again. 
endlessly. And I know the way that goes too. So what we did was we we burned in titles on the lower corner. So it runs in a loop. How long is the clip? I guess it's it's about 11, 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's the kind of thing that makes you wonder, this could, I mean, you could take, I, you know, not to give you more work, but <laughs> it's the kind of thing that makes me think, boy, you could turn that into a little documentary that, you know, actually might be kind of interesting, you know, the the history of animated dogs, uh, because there's so much great stuff, obviously. There is I mean, in, I even have Gromit and Wallace and... Uh, oh, yeah, great stuff. Yeah. Slinky Dog from Toy Story and... Doug from Up, and it was really fun to put it together. And it actually, I was thinking like, this could take me like weeks. And I actually <laughs> did the whole thing in like a day and a half. Really? And I sent them to their editor, and she did a really good job of editing them together with smooth transitions and cleaned them up a little bit. Did a really nice job. Put the titles on them. Will they consider ever putting that online, or is it, uh, the museum exhibitions the only way to see that? I'm not really sure. I know that they're going to do a virtual tour at some point. And I what would, about a catalog? Is there a catalog for the? the uh, no, no catalog. There is a pretty good possibility. Um, I don't want to jump the gun on this, but we're we're talking to the Museum of the Dog in New York City. Uh, I went in there on Tuesday, and <laughs> it's at 101 Park Avenue. It's like two blocks from Grand Central. And it, it's uh, it's uh, sponsored by the AKC, American Kennel Club. Oh. And the director is, he's he's ready to go on this thing. We're working out some of the details. So the show might come to New York. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm a museum of the dog. I didn't know there was a museum of the dog. But yeah. uh, he gave me the whole history of it. It was Bennett was in St. Louis for many years. Uh-huh. I think it originally was in New York City, and then it moved out to St. Louis, and then they moved it. Big fundraising campaign, and uh, they opened like 2019, and so they were open for about a year before they had to shut down for the pandemic. I think that they look at this as something that, uh, as you said, a real crowd pleaser type of exhibit that would really get some people through the, through their oh, yeah. discover that the place even exists. I think. Yeah, what kind of build? What kind of you know facility is it? Is it like the floor of or, you know, a wing it's of really fancy office building, glass doors? You can go in. It's it, it's it's beautiful. Uh-huh. I mean, go go type that in. And you, there's actually a YouTube tour on the and uh, and then they have their own website. It's a pretty spectacular place. Uh, I'm very excited about it, but I you know I know the way these things go. I think everybody at this point is open to it, but. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, it sounds like a great opportunity and sounds like the, a great place for it. You know, I mean, um, there's now in Tokyo, is a, if, if I'm not mistaken, right? There's a Snoopy Museum in Tokyo. Yeah. yeah. And I know. Uh, I know that some of the folks from the Schultz uh, Museum and Schultz Studio went out there. Um, that's pretty cool and very popular. And why not a Museum of the Dog in New York? And this would be such a perfect show for it. Uh, it makes a lot of sense, you know. I mean, you what know, they have there are these beautiful 18th century oil paintings and people hunting dogs in England and stuff. I mean, it's just, it's a very classy place, you know. And at one point he said something about, yeah, I mean, you know, this museum is all about purebred dogs. And then he said, I might have some of my board members that question the appropriateness of this but they did do a snoopy exhibit there once 
um, probably at the in the previous location. Yeah. So it's 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 not totally out there. <laughs> you can't be snobby with dogs, man. You know, I mean, you know, the mutts are. I hate that, but you know, mutts are are some of the most. Come on, you know, we all love a, we love our dogs, no matter where they come from, what their breed is. Uh, I can't I can't be snobby about dogs. I, I just love them all. But um, I'm looking at the museum website now, and and yeah, this is a really cool place. It, it looks beautiful, and the paintings on the wall look fantastic. So. Yeah. Yeah, uh, wow, uh, what a great place to have the show here on the East Coast. It'd be nice to be able to see it. One question that pops into my head is, were there any strips that you thought must have had a dog but didn't? And you were surprised to find out there was no dog, for example, in, I don't know. Now, I'm, get, I'm pulling a name out of a hat, but Moon Mullins comes to mind. Is there a dog in Moon Mullins? I would think there must be. Uh, not that I'm aware of. I mean, I, I also feel like as thorough as i've tried to be and probably be honest i probably only scratched the surface (laughs) (laughs) that's why i told jenny i said people will be coming in and saying you know moon mullins is my favorite strip and he used to have (laughs) this dog and how come you didn't you know and and there were like this dick tracy thing that that wasn't in the original group i had and then i i was flipping through a book i said i wonder if Dick, dick tracy had a dog and sure enough i one of my books here that had this featuring this character and this story. So yeah, there are probably lots of dogs in strips. And, you know, like you mentioned, Polly and her pals. I was thinking, well, you know, maybe they, they had a dog in that strip or not. I don't know. Where the Gumps. The, the Gumps actually did have a dog. Yeah, I would think the Gumps did, uh, although I wouldn't know the name of it. Often. Yeah. Some of the ones I didn't include were Buck, which is the Gumps dog. Okay. Uh, Pal, who's in Gasoline Alley. Oh, yeah. Did find that I think Prince Arne and Prince Valiant had a dog. And we have that in a book that's oh. going in the library. And what we're gonna what we're gonna do as as the exhibit opens and people come in with these like, how come you don't have this dog? We're gonna <laughs> can in any way, we're gonna include those in in like accessible through the library. And also Anne who Anne uh, Droz, D-R-O-Z-D, who is the exhibit coordinator, who worked very closely with me on the show, mm-hmm. is putting together a gallery uh, online. Okay. She's already putting in all the dogs that are in the exhibit. And we actually have one of those. Uh, you put your phone up to it. That's in the exhibit. It's on the post there. And you put your oh, phone okay. up and then you access this expanding list that will be a work in progress that will continue to add dogs as time goes on prince and tiny tim tornado and brenda star oh wow okay that's what morgan barnaby fuzz and ziggy these are ones we didn't include oh that you didn't include okay fido and wizard of it so yeah there's if there's ones that we are aware of that we didn't include because we just didn't find examples or what are the like? What's the most recent dog that you would have in the strip? I mean, you have anything from strips that are from the last twenty years? I would think you would. The big late edition was there's this guy Dav Pilkey. Pilkey, uh, he's Captain Underpants, but he also has this latest graphic novel series, Dog Man. Dog Man, okay, it's huge. And he lives in Ohio, and he's loaned a piece for the show, so he's represented. Okay, so maybe that's the newest one. I think actually my uh, my nephews, younger nephews, they they read that that series. I think I've seen it. 
I thought also of, and we didn't include any of these sports mascots, <laughs> like the Yale Bulldogs. Or we, <laughs> we have a team that we see in Maine when I go to Maine in the summer, the Portland Sea Dogs. Uh, there's probably, I mean, obviously Georgia Bulldogs and other dogs like that. There's ones in advertising. Uh, oh, wow. I wouldn't I, have thought of those. What's the RCA dog? Um, oh, I, I can see it, but I don't know what kind of dog. Actually, yeah, I don't know what kind of dog it is. Um, the RCA Victor dog. My wife knows the breeds better than I do. Um, <laughs> but there's there's ones like that. I mean, we did, you know, uh, like Spuds McKenzie, we don't have specifically, but we actually have a little satire that Burke Bretha did in Bloom County of Spuds McKenzie is a sort of <laughs> down and out drug addicted dog or something. <laughs> so that's in the exhibit. Oh, that's pretty cool. I mean, that'll that'll shock a few people. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, were there comic book dogs like uh, Superman's dog Crypto? Oh yeah, no, we have yeah, those are all in the comic book section. Okay. Um, dollar have- Dollar Richie Rich's dog, the oh, beef yeah. tortoise. Tintin. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, nice. We even have Roberto, which is in Gru. Yeah, another Sergio Aragonas. Um, do you have um, uh, Lockjaw from the Fantastic Four and Jack Kirby? No. No, uh, he's one of my favorites. Uh, Lockjaw. I love uh-huh. that. Lockjaw is like a big bulldog, but yeah. he's massive and he he he's a teleporter. He teleports, uh, the, you know, characters from the Inhumans from one place to another. It's really, he's a great invention. I just love that dog. Now we have, uh, we have Napoleon and Uncle LB, uh, Rex the Wonder Dog, Lassie. <laughs> oh, yeah. this, this is the comic strip case. Goofy, Spike and Tyke, Scamp. Uh-huh. Uh, terrific, whose dog was uh, Manfred the Wonder Dog. Oh, yeah, Tom, from, from Tom Terrific. Crypto. Huckleberry Hound, Rough and Ready, Deputy Dog. Yeah. Augie Doggy, Jetson, Sad Sack, Mutsy. Oh, I didn't know Sad Sack had a dog. That's interesting. Jughead's dog was Hot Dog. Yep, Hot Dog. Okay. So just about, and, and is like most of them are represented by an actual original piece of artwork. So uh, the comic books are represented by uh, comic book covers in a case oh okay okay right so so you'll see crypto on a comic book cover but right. yeah and are, the, are those from original comic books or are those prints of comic book covers no there's from their collection there um they actually we you know we found a lot of them in the billy ireland collection and we were talking with a michigan uh, state mm-hmm. uh, they have a huge comic book collection there we borrowed things from them before Randy Scott, you know, finally they decided, you know, we'll, we'll just go on eBay and just buy some of these, you know, so they <laughs> you? about a dozen. Yeah, they were, some of them were just a few bucks or some of them were 10, 20 bucks or something. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You can get some great deals on comic strips for and comics, uh, uh, original comic art. Yeah. And comic books. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. These are just comic book covers. And the trick was finding one that had the dog, you know, prominent on the cover. It wasn't just. Mm-hmm. and with crypto in the background or something it had to be starring crypto yeah start a story with with crypto in it yeah. yeah um which you know he's not around so much anymore i don't think but uh well there is a crypto uh 
TV animation thing that actually is in the video. Oh, <laughs> that's great. I love it. Yeah, that's one of those those uh, f- those uh, what innovations in Superman from the 50s and 60s to the Mort Weisinger era. And uh, Kurt Swan would would have drawn some of those things. I yeah, think. The, yeah, I think the crypto might, might be, a, be a Kurt Swan cover from like a love that stuff well yeah. god so so this show is up till october 31st and if you are you know out in that area i think folks you ought to head on over to the billy ireland museum this is i think uh, a big crowd pleaser of a show yeah uh, yeah it sounds like a lot of fun and something for everybody because you know not only you're looking at great lovable characters that we all care about and and really take to heart but also you're looking at great comic art and so you get two for the price of one in that sense so that's kind of yeah. cool yeah. yeah there's there's really something i mean in you know certainly some classic original comic strip pages you know of you know like a pogo and a oh, yeah. brown and a crazy cat you know original art in terms of genres you've got we, we've got magazine cartoons and and uh sports cartoons we have a whole case of editorial cartoons with dogs in them um so yeah there's, it's quite a variety i think it covers the the bases and the way dogs interact with human beings in our daily lives they're such an important part of our lives i know they are you know as you were speaking your connection to your dog and, and jezebel right and uh, and you know my dogs are so important to my wife and I, they play a big part in our lives and, and that's why they end up in the comics and in cartoons and everywhere else, because they're so important to us. And uh, it's kind of a wonderful, you know, I don't know, there's something just so great about connecting to an animal in that way. Um, you know, something very special about that. So this, this is going to be a, I think a heartwarming exhibition for everybody. Uh, and an eye opener too, because there's probably some stuff in there people are not familiar with. Um, yeah, I know that Jenny Robb told me, she said, I think this is going to be one of the most popular shows we've ever done here. They did that Calvin and Hobbes, Richard Thompson duo show. I, I thought that'd be hard to beat that one. That, yeah, that's a tough one to beat. You know, I, I could see that. But I have a feeling this one's going to bring in some big crowds, not just in the early weeks. I think it'll, you know, grow. It'd probably be a good idea to hold it over to Christmas if you want. Yeah. You know, my two cents on that, <laughs> Yeah, because that would probably bring in holiday people, too. I think it's a yeah. hope it does. I hope it's a big success, uh, Brian. And, yeah. uh, you know, congratulations on another another great exhibition putting together. What's next for you? I don't know. You know, it's 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 been a weird year, obviously. <laughs> The year after my father passed away and it just I don't know, lots of things I had more kind of projects in the works in the, you know that period and a lot of them just got either put on hold or fell through i was working with this traveling exhibit company um this this guy that's done everything from dr seuss and uh, muppets and you know big traveling exhibits going all around the world and we were we were working on a betty boop exhibit and a popeye exhibit that would have been great and you know he had he had venues set up. He had the San Diego Maritime. We we're going to do a boat parade and uh, for Popeye and all kinds of stuff. And 
we ran into all kinds of legal problems and the whole thing just fell through. He was very discouraged. He spent a lot of money. Um, oh, you know, I was working on uh, an artist edition, a crazy cat book with Dark Horse. And oh, that would be something to see. Yeah, I thought it was a great idea working with John Lind on that. That kind of is in limbo right now because there's a guy in France who's the number one crazy guy collector who just will not cooperate. Oh, yeah. You were just, telling me about him last time. Yeah. Just is like um, he wants to do his own thing, which is, it, you know, that's his right. But uh, that was kind of discouraging. So, you know, there's a bunch of these projects that um, I've been telling my a lot of people that this last year I've been less busy than I've been in about 12 years, I think, because it, it, I'm not completely swamped and I'm not working seven seven days a week and 16 hour days or anything. It's probably just as well. I mean, most of my friends are retiring now, so. <laughs> but somehow cartoonists never seem to do that. You yeah. know, people yeah. in this business never, certainly your dad didn't. And uh um it doesn't sound like you are either it sounds you actually sound like you're a little uncomfortable with with being less active and less busy yeah. no i don't know what to do with myself you know i don't really have any hobbies anymore you know i don't play golf or <laughs> <laughs> a man of your you know standing in the comics community i can't imagine it'll be very long if the word gets out that you're you know without a, a project somebody is going to come out of the woodwork and, and yeah it, it yeah, I, I think I told you the story after the museum moved from Rybrook to Florida and there, there wasn't a museum, you know, they were fundraising. There wasn't a museum in Florida to, to do exhibits at anymore. Right. And I was kind of like, now what? You know, is that all just kind of a dead end? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm still working on the comic strip work. And, and I remember talking with Lucy Caswell and she said, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how much work there is for a cartoon curator, you know. <laughs> and, uh, it slowly got going, you know. I did it, this exhibit in Bridgeport and another one in Belgium. And, and, you know, and then starting in like 2000, 2001, you know, with the Abrams books and the Masters of American Comics and the Schultz Museum and <laughs> the Reina Sophia. And, you know, it was just one thing after another on stop for 12 years well you know it, it strikes me now you were just talking about an artist edition book of crazy cat why not an artist edition book of of you know beetle bailey or high and lois or you know more yeah. walker's work i mean your dad invented so many different i guess you call them abstractions you know emanata i guess is some of the, yeah. the words that's used you know i mean he's such an important figure within the development of mid-20th century comics yeah. uh, i would think something like that might be kind of cool except maybe your dad's work is so pristine we don't get to see any erasing or pencil marks or no like we you know one of the exhibits I did for the for the IMCA in Florida was at 50 Years of Beetle Bailey in 2000. Uh -huh. And I, I was a curator of that. And I was able to just, you know, my father was down in Florida most of the time. And I just, in his house in Connecticut, I just rummaged through his attic. And I found, I, you know, his old army uniform. And I found oh. this whole trunk of letters and all his old show me magazines from the University of Missouri and everything. So we put all that. It was a huge exhibit in Florida, and 
you know, not only with all the best strips that we could find and classic examples, the first appearance of Miss Buxley, the first appearance of Lieutenant Flap, you know, early stuff. I remember at the opening saying, I've never had this kind of access to the subject of an exhibit. You know, I never I never was able to rummage through George Harriman's attic or or Windsor McKay's attic. Close to it, actually, Windsor McKay's grandson's basement. Wow. You know, so we and I did that exhibit in another venue in Stanford, Connecticut. So that exhibit's been done twice and we've kept all of that together. And uh, one of the exhibits I was working on with this traveling exhibit was a, a Beetle. That was the first project I worked on with this guy was a Beetle Bailey sh- exhibit. And, you know, maybe that would go to some military museums. And there's a huge uh, museum of the United States Army or something that's uh, outside of Washington, D.C., I think in Virginia. It's huge, like 20, 30 million dollar thing that's just that I think they're just finishing building it now. Wow. And we were at one point talking to them about having it as one of their opening exhibits. Yeah, sure. Makes a lot of sense. Gallery. I mean, this place is like full of tanks and stuff like that, you know, military uniforms and everything, you know. Uh, but they do have a gallery. Yeah, and it could soften their image a little bit. Have, you know, I mean, all this armature in one place and, you know, this weaponry, and then you have the comic strip sort of taking the air out of the balloon, if you will, of the, the military uh, right there. That'd be kind of kind of an interesting contrast, actually. Yeah. I mean, but so many, I mean, at one point I was working with uh, some people out in L.A. about doing a live action Beetle Bailey, you know, TV series. Yeah. Uh, we're trying to sell it maybe to one of the streaming services, Netflix or whatever. And uh, we we came across these two guys that are both like special ops, like, you know, n- no longer in the service. These young guys that were just, they loved Beetle Bailey and they were going to inject all this sort of modern lingo into it. And they had this like really crazy presentation that they did. And they went around to all, everybody, you know and made the presentation and like so many of these things just never went anywhere i mean it's often the, not the thing that you're trying to push through it's the thing that falls out of the sky and hits you in the head <laughs> yeah and i think back on you know that, that exhibit i did in spain it was just a phone call i got from jenny robb and she'd been called by the people in spain and they wanted to do crazy cat they, they, they decided it. i didn't propose it to them they came to me and said do you think you can help us with this thing and it just blossomed into this wonderful experience and two years of working on it and going over there for the opening. And uh, those are the kind of things I, you know, I live for, you know, that and that, that's why I do it, because uh, it gets me out of my studio and helps me meet interesting new people. And and so I, I, I hope it keeps going. <laughs> Never Absolutely. know. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I think once once you solidify this show showing up at the Museum of the of the dog in in uh, New York, uh, yeah. you know, who knows what might yeah. happen next. But I'm looking forward to, you know, because, Brian, the stuff that you've done, the work that you've done in the, in for comics, the history of comics, the exhibitions you've put together. I mean, it's just enriched our experience of the medium so much and and it will continue to do so and uh i'm looking forward to whatever happens next and i hope you'll let me know yep. uh, what what you know shows up on the horizon as soon as it does 
balls on my head. Okay, <laughs> great talking to you. So there you have it. The Dog Show, Canine Cartoons, Billy Ireland Museum until October. And if I was you, I'd mark it on my calendars to be out there sometime in early October for Crossroads, Columbus, and Brian's uh, gallery tour of the show. I saw Brian do a gallery walk when Billy Ireland opened back in their new facility back in uh, 2013, I think it was. And he's a terrific guide through comics history. So you're going to want to do that if you love comics and you love dog cartoons. What could be better, right, <laughs> than, than to walk through this show with Brian Walker? So next time I've got, I'm really excited about next time because we've got one of my all-time favorite cartoonists on the show. And uh, I've been trying to line this up for a lo almost as long as the show has been around. And finally we got together and so Seth is going to be here Yes, Seth is going to be here to talk about his work, to talk about his work on Peanuts uh, as the designer of the Peanuts Complete Collection from uh, Fantagraphics and uh, to talk about just about everything. It's, it, it, it was a great, great conversation, and I can't wait to share it with you. So next time on Blockhead, Seth. And what can I say? Don't forget Green Screen. Follow me on Instagram at Green Screen Comic for all the news and updates about the upcoming Kickstarter, which is dropping any day now uh, in August, right? Um, I'm not sure the exact day in August just yet because I'm finalizing it right now as we speak, but I'm very excited about it. I can't wait to share it with you. I think you're going to like uh, green screen. So follow me on Instagram at green screen comic for all the news and updates, or you can get a sneak peek at the, of the Kickstarter on my website at jeffgrogan.com. That's G E O F F G R O G A N.com. That's it for now. Next time, Seth. So until then, stay well, stay healthy. Uh, enjoy the summer if you can wherever you are I hope the weather is good and you're getting out into the sun and uh, thanks for listening